Overnights with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars and a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico Yeah, that's where we're going now, to Campeche in Mexico, and our very good friend uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Martin. Good evening to you. Uh, Let's start off with Frida Kahlo. Um, The reason I'm saying is that I put Frida Kahlo's uh, picture on my little tweet that was um, advertising the show, and uh, it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, she died in 1954, and we're still fascinated. But I mean, she might be the most most, most famous Mexican of all time. And we're still fascinated by um, her life and death. And now the story is um, being talked about. It's been in most of the papers uh, that uh, she didn't die from a pulmonary embolism, which was the you know the official cause of death, but was actually assisted in her death by uh, her husband Diego Rivera, um, which I. Pres- presume is, is quite a story in Mexico. It's a massive story. I mean, we, we know that, as you say, like if you think about Frida Kahlo, uh, for whatever reason, she has now reached iconic status. I mean, she mm. is massively famous and for sure one of Mexico's most uh, popular individuals, certainly cultural uh, ambassadors, even in, in death. And also remarkable, I think, in terms of what we think we're hearing now, because she had a massively troubled um, love life uh, and coexistence with her husband, the equally famous at the time, if not actually more famous at the time, artist Diego Rivera, and has now been eclipsed a little bit by by the life and times of, of Frida, who it seems, according to his grandson, may have assisted in her death. At the time, Yeah, we, we, we know, we think we know she died of a pulmonary embolism. There was lots of chat and rumours for a long time that Uh, that perhaps she died of some kind of overdose, uh, added to by the fact that in her diary she she referred a number of times to to wanting to take her own life. So her grandson has come out, or will come out, in a BBC documentary next month called uh, Becoming Frida and allege that his grandfather, Diego, actually assisted in, in taking her life. And as you say, almost the most, I guess, surprising thing about this is how rapidly this has reached the international news cycle and to what extent anything related to free, to, uh, to Frida Kahlo and her life really continues to garner international attention. Yeah, and her her home, is it the Casa Azul, is, yeah. or the, the Blue House, is um, one of Mexico's big tourists. She lived, was it the south side of Mexico City? It's one of the, yeah. uh, one of the big tourist attractions in, in Mexico City. It is. It's in the. It's in what was a, a distinct little town village south of Mexico City back in the day called Coyoacan, uh, an, an outpost, but now is firmly just one of Mexico City's southern neighbourhoods. And, and every day there are queues that go round the block and then another block. And and the the attraction generated by her is is absolutely continues to be absolutely remarkable. Yeah, and and another sort of high-profile figure in Latin America whose uh, death is being questioned is the Chilean poet, uh, who I'm not familiar with, I have to say, uh, the Chilean poet uh, Pablo Neruda. Um, tell me what what's being said about that. Yeah, and this death, in a way, I mean, these, it's been strange that these these two deaths have been from 
know, bygone times have been questioned this week. And in a way, this is more remarkable even than the Frida one. The Frida one's remarkable because it's Frida. This is remarkable because there is actually some evidence which suggests that Pablo Neruda, uh, also a massively important Latin American and specifically Chilean cultural icon, a poet from Chile, uh, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1971, who died weeks after the coup in Chile, in 1973, which deposed Salvador Allende and brought in Augusto Pinochet, who we thought had died of cancer. Uh, researchers, he was exhumed in uh, 19, uh, sorry, in, in 2013, uh, and uh, the exhumation process initially suggested that nothing untoward had happened, that he was a victim of, of cancer. But more recently, poisons related to botulism have been found in his in his remains. So it seems as though this death, very soon after uh, the coup from one of Chile's most outspoken defenders of democracy uh, was likely to have been something other than just a death by uh, by cancer. So uh, the, the evidence, if you like, in this one is much more incriminating towards uh, what took place to the extent that uh, 50 years after the event, Chile may open a murder in- investigation into its most famous writer of all time. Blimey. Um, it is interesting, we, you know, how we're all fascinated by these stories. Uh, as far as Frida Kahlo goes, um, she had a couple of high-profile uh, affairs or rumoured to have had, you know, affairs with famous people. I'm trying to think exactly who Trotsky. they were. Trotsky, Trotsky, that's the one, Trotsky. That's the one. Yes. Well, if you talk about, if we're thinking about the fame of, uh, of Frida Kahlo's Casa Azul, it's always been mind-blogging to me that actually Trotsky's house, where he was murdered by uh, an ice pick. And actually, I make re- regular reference to this in, in my house because we have an ice pick that resembles a, a sort of a, an antique ice pick that resembles the one that was inserted into Trotsky's uh, head. Um, his house is actually only a couple of blocks away and nobody goes to visit the Trotsky Museum. I mean, you maybe you get 10, 20 people a day uh, that go there. And it's, it's as yeah, equally as important a cultural historical landmark but it's fallen off the face of the earth in terms of its importance. And then you walk two blocks, and actually the queue sometimes reaches, the queue for the Frida Kahlo Gassasul sometimes reaches the Trotsky house. Blimey. I, I, I just have to ask why you keep an ice pick handy. Is this in case you actually want to bury it into the head of uh, some uh, communist icon at any time? Or, you know, what's the ice pick for? I mean, presumably for breaking up ice, is it? I think there would be worse ways to go, wouldn't there? Than, than, uh, <laughs> than, than, yes, maybe. No, look, I, I like to leave uh, random objects of, but, uh, which, which have multiple, you know, uses, uh, multiple domestic uses, but potentially self-defense uses, uh, yes. around about the house for potential use. Fair enough. Tell me about this uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is under threat from this, uh, you know, the U.S. border wall between uh, Mexico and the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of your heritage sites there in Mexico is threatened by this wall. It is. This is, a, this is a letter that's been written to UNESCO by the Center for Biological Diversity, which is an organization which exists in both the USA and, and Mexico, which is written to UNESCO uh, claiming or, or asserting that UNESCO should say that this site is in danger. This is uh, this is a, a site called uh, El Pinateca in uh, the Sonoran Desert, which straddles both Sonora and Arizona. And the importance of this is that it is the biggest area of protected desert on Earth, which has been cut into by uh, by Trump's border wall. Uh, and so, what this has done fundamentally is 
really threatened the the life and existence of a series of, I mean, it, it's basically broken the ecosystem in half to the extent that there are a number of species that now cannot cross the border to seek food, water, and of course, to mate. And when you look at species like, for example, the Sonoran pronghorn, uh, not two words which are going to be regularly uttered on, on talk sport, but, but they're... Um, <laughs> Their their numbers have absolutely been decimated. It's like it's a creature which resembles an antelope, but is actually related biologically to the giraffe and exists in uh, in the Americas. And so this this line that's been drawn right the way through, this impassable line that's been drawn through this unique landscape and unique e ecosystem, has really brought into sharp relief the other issues that we never talk about as regards the U.S.-Mexico border, which relate to environmental concerns and also relate to indigenous rights and indigenous treaties that have been trodden on again and again and again by the u.s government and so on and it's not just the sonoran pronghorn it's also jaguars mountain lion the mexican gray wolf and so on so this this call by the head scientist alejandro olivera a senior scientist from the center for biological diversity is to to draw attention to this looming not even looming present environmental crisis that we are seeing take place on the u.s mexico border yeah, actually, a lot of the words that you use in this spot, John, aren't heard on uh, Talksport over the rest of the uh, rest of the schedule, uh, including Frida Kahlo. I've never heard her. You know, Simon that's, Jordan rarely has a view on that. That's why we're on prime time in New Zealand. Of course, that's exactly why we're on prime time in New Zealand. Uh, just tell me finally a bit of sport. Um, Diego Coca has been appointed uh, to coach the Mexico national team. Not somebody who, well, he's not a household name, really, is he? Not at all. Uh, and somebody who wasn't in the running at all up until the point at which he was appointed this week. And that certainly generated consternation here. He he was uh, the, the head coach of, of, of Tigres for just five games before he was appointed uh, and then moved on to, to become the national selection. Prior to that, he was the, the, the manager, the head coach of, of this team, mid-ranking sort of Liga Mex side called Atlas that had actually hadn't won anything since 1951. But under his, his, uh, under his, in his tenure, they won two championships in 2021, 2022, and he was voted best manager during uh, that season as well. But the consternation around the appointment here relates to, well, I think three things. The first is that he's Argentine and Mexico and Argentina have, let's say, a conflictive <laughs> uh, history. The yeah. second thing is the fact that um, he he really didn't have much of a of a playing career to speak of. I mean, perhaps a better, a more marked playing career than a sort of Ron Atkinson, uh, but, uh, but certainly nothing to you know to to shout home about. So so an unspectacular appointment by that to that extent as well. And then the third thing, which is almost the most important, really, is that his playing style is the kind of standard counter-attacking, compact defence, uh, highly organised, waiting for a team to lose the ball and then. Uh, uh, launching direct counterattacks, and if you think about what, how Mexico perceives its footballing style, it is not a counterattacking counter style. It is about the beautiful game. It is about talented. I mean, obviously, this doesn't hasn't played out in international tournaments for a long period of time. But how uh, Mexico sees itself in its mind eye, mind's eye in terms of its footballing prowess is great degrees of skill and playing amazing football almost uh, tiki-taka Barcelona-style uh, 
that that sort of game, which uh, Diego Coca is emphatically not going to bring to the team. And when you've got when you've also had a series of really high profile international managers uh, who've been linked to the job and a complete overhaul of of Mexican football. And then the final appointment is this Diego Coca leading up to the 2026 uh, World Cup, which is going to take place at least in part on Mexican soil. It's definitely left a lot of supporters here uh, open mouthed with disappointment. Yeah, he likes the press, doesn't he? He likes to do what uh, Jurgen Klopp does. He likes to um, press high up the pitch um, at that point. Yeah. But yeah, and uh, and it's important. I mean, this next World Cup, because some of it will be played in Mexico, um, obviously they want to do as, as well as possible. So I don't know if somebody yeah. may have identified that, you know, that's the style that's, that they'll need to succeed. Very possibly. But if you're going to do that, you need a highly motivated a uh, team of individuals who, who buy into a team ethos, which, let's say, yeah. politely, is not something that Mexico has evidenced uh, over yeah, the last generation. True. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as always, John, thank you uh, ever so much. Uh, we'll talk again very soon. No problem. Take care. And you. Good man. Uh, there we go. John Bonfilio joining us from Campeche in Mexico. Well,